If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a PhD holding historian, a professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that makes legit, seriously researched American history come to life through entertaining stories. Join me for a chronological telling of the United States story, from the revolution to fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way from 1776 to the early 20th century. Listen to History That Doesn't Suck on Spotify. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Kat and Jethro, when the hell are the tickets for San Francisco going on sale? Signed, Evie. I'm anxious in San Francisco. Well, dear Evie, they go on sale Wednesday. That sounded so like Casey Kasem. Well, Evie? <laughs> no, I can't do it. You can do it. Thanks, Evie. Here's your long-distance dedication. <laughs> keep reaching for the stars and keep your feet in your mouth. What? Wait. And now on with the countdown. <laughs> yeah. Um, so San Francisco, super excited. Um, we've been waiting for things to get finalized, and uh, it it is here. It is happening. Very excited. Tickets go on sale. Woodnesda. This coming Wednesday. Woodnesda. Wednesday. Tickets for the San Francisco show at Cobb's Comedy Club will go on sale this Wednesday. Uh, you can get yours by going to our website. And not just for that show, but all the shows in the Halloween tour uh, by going to our website. Theboxofoddities.com. You can also get them at Ticketmaster.com. Not for all the shows, just the San Francisco show. That's weird. It is weird. I've still, I can't wrap my head around that entirely that... Ticketmaster's wasting space on us, <laughs> but we appreciate it. No, we, I like it. Do. I like it a lot. I get to go first today. Oh, yes. Tell today. me things. Okay. Oh, man. I need to dust this table. Yeah, we need to, actually, we need to get a new table and we need to get you a new chair. We still haven't gotten a chair for you yet. I know. Uh, yeah. It's been over a year. So we should actually go out today and get you a chair. We'll, because you're a girl, we'll get you a pink chair. I don't understand what you're doing right now, but I don't care for it. Well, I know that that just angers you when uh, when pink is assigned to the female gender. Mm-hmm. So you thought that's my topic today. Oh, okay. oh, yeah. See, okay. I was just trying to tie it into oh, I see. and anger you at oh. the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Mission accomplished. Excellent. Check and check. Excellent. Now it seems you know, I got thinking about this, and it seems like pink is for girls, blue is for boys has always been the case. That it goes back centuries it doesn't it's not no i was reading uh, on jezebel.com in the late 1800s babies pretty much were dressed the same they would just wear white dresses yeah 
And the reason for that was, well, white was an easy color to get stains out of. That makes sense. Which makes perfect sense. It's still why I like white sheets. <laughs> yeah. Because of the dogs. Uh, okay. All right. <laughs> because it, you can bleach them sure. and it gets no. the dog smell out because we let the dog sleep on the bed. That's that's absolutely true. But these white... Um, what were you thinking? <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't matter. Any hoozle. Uh, the white dresses, they looked like christening gowns, sort of. You, yeah. you, you see photos of children during the 1800s, and they're wearing uh, what look like white dresses. And not only was the white easier to clean and get stains out of, but you could just pull them up and change the diapers. Right. Which made it functional. It just makes sense. And in addition, during that time, there wasn't a lot of money in, in the average household uh, and so they got passed down. And so it didn't m- make sense to gender code children's clothing. Right. Unless you were in high society. In the middle of the 1800s, soft pastel colors were introduced, but only high society people would buy them. Oh. They were more expensive, more difficult to keep laundered and clean. Plus, they weren't in a position where they had to pass clothing on. They could just, you know, buy whatever they wanted and throw it out. Sure. According to Smithsonian.com, the shift toward pink and blue, it happened quite gradually, probably uh, mid-19th century. According to the University of Maryland historian Joe B. Pauletti, the author of a book called Pink and Blue, Telling Girls from Boys in America. They weren't color specific in those days. They were just soft pastel colors. Valerie Steele, the director of the museum at FIT, the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York, said, if you go back to the 18th century, little boys and little girls of upper classes wore both pink and blue Mm -hmm. uh, uniformly. They didn't, uh, there was, you know. There was no difference. There was no difference. But that started to change by the early 1900s. Ladies Home Journal article in June of 1918 said, the generally accepted rule is pink is for boys and blue is for girls. Originally, it was the other way around. Mm -hmm. Originally, pink was the boy's color. Interesting. And blue was the girl's color. The reason is that pink was a more decided and stronger color. Right. It's a a variation of red, which is like a, a bold, passionate, hot color. That's exactly right. While blue is a more delicate and dainty color and is prettier for the girl, unquote. Another source said that blue was flattering for blondes and pink for brunettes. Oh, so that's how it would should be decided there based was on the, your hair color. There was, there was an element of that as well. In 1927, Time magazine printed a chart showing sex-appropriate colors for girls and boys. According to leading U.S. stores, in Boston, Filene's told parents to dress boys in pink. And uh, so did uh, Haley's in Cleveland and Marshall Field in Chicago. Manufacturers attempted to sell more children's clothing, this according to CNN, and infants' clothing by color-coding them. Some manufacturers branded pink for boys and blue for girls and vice versa. In 1927, there were a lot of regional differences. It wasn't uh, just... So there were pink states and there were blue states? (laughs) Yep. In Manhattan and Marshall Field in Chicago, they branded pink as the boys' color. Uh, Macy's in Manhattan and Wanamaker's in Philadelphia identified pink as a girls' color. 
So by the 1920s, manufacturers, mostly because of their attempt, people were starting to see that there was a distinction between pink and blue for boys and girls. Even though it wasn't uniform from from store to store and region to Got region, it. the Just idea the concept yes. was a thing. Yes, which again was created to sell clothes. Yes, it was a marketing thing, right? More more than anything. About that time, Henry Huntington purchased uh, the famous paintings, uh, the Blue Boy, yeah, and Pinky, the girl. So you've got the beautiful painting of a boy all dressed in blue, Mm -hmm. and then this beautiful painting of a girl all dressed in pink attire. And that just kind of reinforced blue is for boys, pink is for girls. It just kind of happened. According to a womansthing.org blog, which by the way, this is a really interesting piece. In the 1940s, manufacturers decided to settle on pink for girls, blue for boys, and that's why baby boomers, people who grew up post-World War II, were wa- raised wearing those two colors. Got it. 1940 to 1950, Convention of Blue for Boys and Pink for Girls was established. But still, as far as toys went, only 30% of the toys were explicitly labeled for girls or boys. Mm-hmm. Most toys were just toys. Now, once those appeared, connections between genders and certain toys rapidly became uh, more standardized, widely accepted. Again, to sell toys. Yeah, it's marketing. For example, in the 1960s, the Easy Bake Oven. That was introduced in 1963. There was a wide variety of new dolls that came out uh, in the 60s. Chatty Cathy, uh, Little Kittles. The 1950s and 60s really kind of highlighted and put a premium on girls developing their domestic and nurturing skills, while boys, on the other hand, were encouraged to compete and explore and control. Their toys were all built around that. Toys that were argued to be more masculine. I always thought it was interesting, like the easy bake oven, you know, and that idea of being a domestic goddess, you know, revolves around the the female when historically like chefs in the world were men. So, well, yeah, once you get to a point where you make money. Oh, 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 it's economic. It's about the money. Yeah. But this blog went on to say how this obviously was was particularly harmful for girls where, you know, women, girls at the time were said, hey, here's a toy stove, learn to cook. Mm -hmm. And boys were given chemistry sets, learn how to save the world or ruin it. Right. You know, but it wasn't just and I found this interesting, harmful for women or girls. Because it didn't allow the boys the chance to foster domestic skills. Uh, Right. I mean, there's this idea and it's been uh, promoted in sitcoms, especially the last, you know, 50 years or so. Or uh, I I have no concept of what year it is. Um, The last... (laughs) 30 years or so, you know, the stupid man in the house can't do anything right, yeah, can't cook, yeah. you can't leave him alone with the kids because he'll kill them or something. Well, yeah, that's right. And this, that idea, it why wouldn't that be fostered by this concept that only women can do house things? We created that situation yes, entirely. That's that's right. And the portraying of a of a man as a bumbling fool, right? Uh, when it came to domestic issues, really reached a peak in '80s sitcoms. Oh, for sure. The options for expression through play for boys were much more limited, sure, than they were for for girls. For example, I mentioned chemistry sets. 
People bought chemistry sets for girls as well. They weren't, you know, coded pink or blue. But at the same time, it was marketed more toward boys. And here's an interesting point. The term tomboy. Mm. That's relatively a positive term for a girl who has interest in topics or subjects or hobbies that is traditionally thought of as more male. Yeah, boyish. I was always described as a tomboy because I liked to climb trees yeah, and, you know, yeah. I wanted to do the outside stuff and I didn't mind getting dirty. But there is... And then I jumped off the house that time. And so there, that's a, po- a, a fairly positive term for a boyish girl, but it is far more socially acceptable than an effeminate boy. Right. There is no positive term for that. Right. No. All because being associated with girl-like tendencies was an insult. It was weak. Yeah. And even to this day, even to... I have a a beautiful dress shirt. It's pink. I love it. The Brooks Brothers shirt? Yes. Yeah. Whenever I wear it, inevitably, somebody will say, well, it must be nice to be able to wear that color, or aren't you brave, or something like that. Right. It's 2019, people. You know? (laughs) Come on. Really? (laughs) Now, the late 60s marked a very distinct shift from established conventions. It was, you know, the 60s, uh, women's lib movement was really getting some traction. The se- they call it the second wave of feminism. Mm-hmm. And because of that, a lot of toy makers and toy sellers started backing off on the gender-specific toys and or colors for, for baby clothing. In a 1975 Sears catalog, less than 2% of the toys were explicitly marketed to boys and girls. And from 75 to 78, Sears sold no toddler clothing in pink. Oh. There was an awareness of what was happening. Sure. And there was a movement to try to uh, cage this in a little bit. But that was short-lived. The 1980s saw a huge leap forward in making toys gender-specific. And they say it was because... Money. That was one of the big reasons. Well, yeah. It's constant. Heaven forbid your children share toys. If you have a boy and a girl, they should each have their own toys and you should pay for them all. Exactly. By dividing the market into a more narrow demographic, it was easier for companies to sell more products. Mm -hmm. As advertisers encouraged parents with both sons and daughters to buy different toys for each gender. In addition to that, the advent of prenatal testing and imaging technologies that would help people to determine before the child was born if it was a boy or a girl played a big part in it. That does make sense. Because now they were informed when they were planning their nursery, right? for example. And so advertisers and marketing people jumped on that. Well, if you're going to have a girl, you need to buy all pink things. Even if, you know, you already have a bunch of blue stuff, you can't use that or vice versa. Sure. And of course, people who are, you know, getting ready to have a person shoot out of them, they're excited. They uh, want to, I mean, naturally, they want to nest. They want to build something for their baby. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, you want to get, you know, new stuff. So it makes sense that those marketers would take advantage of that, that natural feeling of wanting to create a space for that thing. And today you've got the... uh the gender reveal parties. Oh, of course. It's so important to know about the genitals of your baby. And your friends should know, too, and your neighbors. And you should put it on YouTube. In the 1980s, girl toys moved away from a focus on um, domestic things and began to center more on appearance. 
of course, because <laughs> no, yeah. you have no value. Why are we discussing this? I'm so angry. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just check here. Okay, how far are we? Wow, you got angrier faster than I thought. I thought it would be like more like 18 minutes. Pinkification reached its peak in the early 2000s. Really? Yep. And you know why that is? Disney princesses. Oh, really? Yep. The advent of the Disney princess franchise in a book by Peggy Orenstein called Cinderella Ate My Daughter. She relates a conundrum that many mothers face, finding that their daughters really wholeheartedly embrace the pink princess phenomenon even when their parents try to discourage them from it, even wow. when when mom says, you know, you don't have to just be a princess. You could be a king if you want. You could be whatever you want to be. No, I want to be a princess. Well, it does sound nice. The word sounds nice. Um, I always encourage the idea of being a princess. Like we have, you know, the the small people in our lives. And when I'm told by them and their tiny, stupid mouths that they want to be princesses, <laughs> I encourage that a hundred percent. Yes, you absolutely want to be a princess because you know what a princess does? She dedicates her life to making sure that other people are learning, are able to get what they need. They Princesses work for a living. You will never see a princess like wearing a... Uh, no, that's not true. Okay. <laughs> a real princess spends her time working for the people. That's true. Princess that's, Diana was a good example of that. That's what a that. princess yeah. does. Yeah. And yeah, if you want to dedicate your life to that, fuck yes, all day. But a princess is not, a, being a princess is not just about wearing a floofy dress and a tiara all day. No, it is. The Disney model is, for sure. And that's what right. I think is a... Is that's, a that's called education, kids. Yeah. That's called education. I love how you're pointing out what a real princess is when in reality, the kids are just reacting to the cartoon movie. They just want to be like, they want to dress like Ariel. That's why or, we educate. I know. I love that. I love that. It's important. I love that the princess that you point out is a mermaid, not actually a human princess. I, I know, but isn't Ariel considered one of the Disney she princesses? Is, yes, yes, yeah, yes. okay. As well she should be. Yeah. We don't discriminate. No, we don't. Just because you have fins for legs. If you look back to the 18th century, little boys wore blue and pink. Grown-up men wore blue or pink. I mean, if they had the money. Ladies, little girls, both wore blue and pink. Now, today, like I mentioned before... Mm -hmm. A guy can't wear pink without some kind of a snotty remark. Without it being commented on. Or without it being some kind of a statement. That's true, too. Yeah. You know, they're either embracing their femininity. They're supporting a cause like, you know, breast cancer awareness or, mm -hmm. or something. But there has to be a reason or a statement or you're just brave. Sir Donk. It's, it's stupid. Back in the 1800s, there were all kinds of color faux pas as well. If a, a young woman was wearing black, people assumed that she was in mourning, that she was a widow. Right. You never wore black back then. Today, of course, you know, well, you wear black and gray constantly. Those are your two go-to colors. <laughs> Even though we have dogs, most of your wardrobe is black or gray. The gray hides the hair better, by the way. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, I have a real problem. Um yeah, and I think it's it's hard because it does become ingrained in you so that it does look different or weird or your your attention is brought to it when a man is wearing pink. Um, not so much when a girl's wearing blue. Sure. But, um, but you have to uh, step back and recognize that 
buying into that is just buying into marketing. It you're, really is. You're, that's that's an idea that was created to sell stuff. And if you are cool with just, I don't know. Being manipulated yeah. by marketing companies. And, I don't want to, yeah. yeah. I mean, that yeah. sounds like, you know, don't be a sheep. Yeah. Which I, you know, I don't want to yeah. say, but it's, that's where it came from. It did. It's made up. And it was far more reason than I thought. Yeah. It really, 40s on was when it started, really started. Yeah, there's a picture of one of the presidents as a child wearing a beautiful white dress. Yeah, it's FDR. Thank you. Yeah, I, yes. Yeah, yeah I, re- I remember seeing that. And yeah. And it is, that's a great example yeah, yeah. of this is this is new. This is a new marketing strategy and we've bought into it. And it's still so strong today. It, it, this reminded me of the story that you told me, a friend of yours. I don't know what you're talking about. One of your friends asked their kid what their favorite Marvel hero was. And they said, Captain Marvel, which is now being portrayed as a woman. Mm-hmm. And the father's response was, why don't you choose something other than a princess? Yeah. And then the mother just beat the crap out of the father. So, right, yeah. yeah verbally. Mm-hmm. Not, 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 a, not physically. We don't condone that not. at all, no. of course. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's so deeply ingrained in us that pink is girls, blue is boys. And that's not true. No. It's, that reminds me of the... Uh, uh, scouts thing that happened a few years ago. They had like this uh, weekend learning event and one of the portions of the event uh, was broken up between Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts and they had science chunks of their day and the the Boy Scouts was labeled, you know, science and the Girl Scouts chunk was labeled science with a sparkle. Uh-huh. Okay, there because you go. naturally a girl wouldn't be interested in science unless it was sparkly. <laughs> oh, well, I remember in junior high school, boys went to wood shop or metal shop. Yep. Girls went to home economics. Yeah. And boys were not allowed to go to home economics if they wanted to. And girls could not go to wood shop. I did wood shop. Thanks very much. Whoop, whoop. Whoop, whoop. And I have a lovely set of yes, female genitalia yeah you sure do thank you i approve wholeheartedly D- all right don't make it weird there's a reason you didn't hear this at the start of the podcast this is that thing in the middle and now another installment in our series unexpected craigslist ads number five looking for a hunting partner we're looking for a fifth to complete our hunting party physically fit a plus but not required You have to have your own boots. Skill level not important. New inexperienced hunters are encouraged. Hunting license not required. We have a special permit for what we're hunting, and we look forward to hearing from you. Are they going to hunt that person? Is it like the game? Did you ever see that movie? I did. I love that movie. Yeah, I think it's like the game. Let's watch it. Number four. Got a lot of meat unexpectedly, and I need it gone ASAP. Meet me at the East Lake Walmart parking lot between two and three tonight. (laughs) I will be in a brown Econo line with busted taillight. Keep the cooler. And there's a picture, and it looks like human flesh. It's upsetting. I'm pretty sure. Number three, models needed for major art project. I'm a budding artist who enjoys the human form and wants to share it with the world. Mm. What I need are attractive individuals to be immortalized in an exhibit which will be remembered forever. Interested people, please contact me at Psycho Ted the Taxidermist. P.S. Please don't worry about the address name. It's just a wacky high school college moniker. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. 
Uh-huh. I don't trust you. Number two, mattress for rent, $11 an hour. Wire springs, minor stains, provide location and will come to you. Call ahead for priority time slot. <laughs> yeah. And number one, used toilet paper. Two-ply, one side still usable. Nope. 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 And there is a bag. Of, nope. Yeah. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our Aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the Aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. The only podcast that's part of this nutritious breakfast. This is The Box of Oddities. I saw this comment on our social media and it kind of ties into my topic a little bit. Okay. Yeah. It says, I've got a bone to pick with you. I live in South Carolina. All of my coworkers drive trucks. 
They have Glock stickers in their back window. And we work in a warehouse that's 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Wow. They all display constant perverse masculinity. And they think crying is reserved for only major things like severed body parts. <laughs> Cat, I love you. Please stop making me ball at work. Oh, Please. No. <laughs> <laughs> Whether heart wrenching or soul lifting, you've got me pouring tears. On both ends of the emotional spectrum, I mean streaming down my face, I had to lie quickly and say onions, which is the only word I could manage to get out while running out of the warehouse. The other two times, I literally hid inside cardboard boxes. (laughs) (laughs) I might have to start listening on the way home instead. Sometimes we need to hide in cardboard boxes. That's <laughs> Sorry about that. What you got for me? Oh, okay. So, today I want to talk about a fiesta that takes place in November in Bolivia. It's called Fiesta de las Niatitas. Festival of the Titties? Nope. It uh, translates to the little pug-nosed ones. Okay. And it happens on November 8th. And... During this festival, you will see people en masse praying to uh, the shrines that include human skulls. Okay. It's been often compared to, like, uh, Mexico's Day of the Dead and other festivals uh, like that. So, on November 8th, on the the day of the Fiesta de Nietitas, which is spelled N with the the N-Y-A, and A-T-I-T-S. Okay. So, Nyatitas is the only way that I can think to pronounce that. And here we go. So, on the day, you'll find people outside of cemeteries before they even open, um, ready to gather. Uh, by mid-morning, you'll find that the cemeteries are crowded. So, are they like tailgating? Sort of. Little pregame activity? Sometimes, yeah, I, I imagine. The gravesites overflowing with people uh, carrying offerings of cocoa leaves, flower petals, cigarettes, candy. And, of course, they bring their skulls with them. Wait, they have... The Aymara people wait, wait, of... Wait, wait, they bring their own... What? They bring their skulls. Okay, so these are family members... <laughs> Skulls of ancestors, or not necessarily. You, is there a place you can just buy a human skull and like and bring it in like a bowling ball bag? No, you no, you wouldn't do that. They're they're treasured. Well, I think if they're treasured, they should have a carrying case. The Amara people are an indigenous nation in the Andes and the Altiplano regions of South America. So there are about a million of them. They live in Bolivia, Peru, and Chile. And uh, they have celebrated in Bolivia this festival for some time. The, the skulls that they bring with them are often adorned with hats, sometimes sunglasses. Uh, they're taken from the home shrines where their living owners keep them. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just thinking like Mr. Potato Head, a little pipe, you know, mustache. It could be. That would be awesome. It could be. There's a business opportunity. You sell accessories for, for skulls? For skulls. That's a great idea. Yeah. Get a little cart, set it up outside a cemetery. Right. With the glasses and the mustache, the fake nose. I love it. Little hat. Yep. Little fedora. Sure. So the um, <laughs> the skulls they bring with them, they are often blessed as they enter the, the cemetery. And 
they are adorned with decorations before they leave the home as well as once they get to the cemetery it's part of the festival is decorating the skulls um, and it's all in the name of ensuring good fortune so do they do they decorate them differently every year I would imagine, yes. Really? So. Um, though the way that it was described in one of the articles that I read is like um, you would dress them uh, like you were, if you were going to a fancy event with your kid, you'd dress your kid up nice for the event. Sure. So that's what they do with the skulls. Okay. They, they dress them up nice. Uh-huh. Uh, now, I got most of this from uh, an article in America's Quarterly and uh, SmithsonianMag.com. So the festival is usually held the week after All Saints and All Souls Day, and the Bolivians gather in graveyards, they give their gratitude to the Nietitas and celebrate the special bond that they have with their their skulls, um, and the comparison to Day of the Dead really isn't a good one, and I think for sometimes for uh, more European cultures, it might be seen as the same because it involves cemeteries and skulls. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, it must be the same thing. Brightly painted skulls, too. Right, yeah. But it's not. Uh, Day of the Dead is more about your family and celebrating your your heritage and the the souls that have come before you and making sure that that's all on the up and up. Now, in this festival, some skulls are century-old heirlooms, while others are procured from archaeological sites. Um, Skulls might also come from local cemeteries uh, because they don't sell the plots in I forget what it's called they um, they're not they're, they're they're not forever plots so uh, there's like a high turnover of burials there and um, sometimes you'll see skulls with their their tops cut off which yeah. have been uh, acquired from medical schools skulls can be traded skulls can be purchased skull you know there's there's a lot of ways to acquire your skulls and Paul Cudineris, who is an art historian who documented the Nyatitas in his book, which is called Memento Mori, The Dead Among Us, um, he explains that all Nyatitas are skulls, but not all skulls are Nyatitas. And the difference is the relationship between the living owner and the skull. And a good relationship isn't always guaranteed. Everyone has a personality, and he's quoted in this book as saying, in some cases, it might not be a good fit between a person and a skull. People will say, I got this skull from my cousin who didn't get along with it, but I'm getting along with the skull very well. That's weird, but fascinating. It's got a lot to do with um, with fortune, with luck, with um, harvests. I see. Your relationship with your skull and your skull being good to you means that you're going to have good fortune. I wonder if they have like, um, before you adopt a skull, you go and have a play date with the skull. Like you foster a skull? Yeah. You just hang out with the skull for a little bit just to visit. That's a good idea. And see how it goes. Take it on a bike ride. Yeah. If your bike falls over, then that's not a good that's skull for you. That's not the best skull. Yeah. The uh, earliest documented celebrations resembling today's festival occurred at the beginning of the 20th century. The Aymara regard death as a transition, as many cultures do, into another phase of existence, and that's divided by the thinnest of veils. They consider that the those who have passed over are still working with us. 
and the vessels are housing the souls of the former living residents. It doesn't have to be a family member, but it can be someone who still wants the best for your community. Farmers used to bury skulls in their fields prior to planting, and there were accounts written as recently as 1918 describing like um, sexual orgy rituals that would take place following the rituals with the the skulls. So they'd bury the skulls in their potato fields. Yep, and then have a, a sexy party, <laughs> and uh, then their crops would do well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I am fascinated by this. Right? And I want to learn more. (laughs) I think that if we just included more sexy parties, uh, generally we'd be better off as a nation. I think so, too. So after the Spanish arrived in Bolivia in the 16th century, uh, as with so many cultures, they tried to squash it. They tried to uh, eliminate traditions like this one, uh, forcing Native people to convert to Christianity and putting those caught attempting to perform uh, let's call it magic or these rituals or or creating fortune through right sexy parties and skulls. Mm-hmm. Um, they would they put them on trial for a witchcraft, and rather than being able to actually stamp that out, those who had that culture ingrained in them actually held on to it. They just took it underground. They didn't forget about it, but they kept it quiet because you don't want to be murdered, right? In the 1970s, though, it started to become more accepted. People started bringing the culture back. Um, People started reviving these traditions, Uh, maybe not with the sexy parties, but definitely reviving the part of it that worked with those who had passed over to create a better community. So this culture stayed underground. It must have been for quite a while. It was. Like hundreds of years. It was. Wow. And uh, I think part of the reason that they were able to keep it uh, rather than it being lost during this time is because they dealt with a lot of things. I mean, um, there was a lot of racism that uh, was involved with these native groups. Again, a problem that we've seen all over the globe where a certain nation comes in, takes over, tries to stamp out the the traditions of that. Yep. Yeah. Um, in this case, I think because their traditions and their culture was so deeply ingrained in them, they just they were able to hold on to that, which is remarkable. It really is. The articles, both uh, the one in Smithsonian and uh, America's Quarterly, uh, really interesting, and they go into a little more depth about the blessings, the protection, and the assistance that's offered. To to those who who bring the skulls with them, and uh, a little bit more about like the um, the shrines that are set up in mm. in people's homes. This is not just a once a year thing. These skulls, these nyatitas, are a part of their lives. Right, they're not just stored in the tool shed. Right, uh, or in a bowling bag. (laughs) In the off-season. And it is, like I said, it's remarkable that this culture has been able to kind of revive itself Mm. and its traditions. And one of those things that, yeah, it might seem weird, but it's a beautiful thing that they've been able to to hold on to that piece of their their history and their their traditions. And uh, I think it would be amazing to, to see, because there is so much flourish and pageantry involved in it like i said you know you dress your kid up to go to a nice big event you will dress your skull up to go sure. to a, yep. a big event and uh sunglasses i think are my favorite uh feature of the nyatitas again i think mr potato head pipe 
would be awesome. Um, I, I don't think that that's far outside the range of possibilities, but as long as you're doing it with respect and, uh, and your skull likes you, sure, you know, yeah. it's going to work out that's okay. That's true. You don't want to piss the skull off. No, you don't. No. You end up falling off your bike. So <laughs> anyway, that's the uh, Fiesta de las Niatitas, the uh, festival of the pug-nosed ones. And... This happens right around Halloween time. It's November 8th. Okay, so just after Halloween or when we celebrate Halloween anyway. Yeah, birthday trip. I would love to go and check that out. That Put that on our list. Our cat and Jethro, we're going to go and see Cool Stuff's road trip list. I think that's an amazing idea. It, and as I mentioned, it is around my birthday. So uh, I am pro making this part of a birthday trek. I'm in. Oh, those are some cool pictures. Yeah, I'll post yeah. some of these photos. Yeah, one skull is wearing aviator glasses. Oh, yeah. How come I never looked that cool in aviator glasses? I know, right? I don't get it. You should pair it with a nice floral wreath. <laughs> That's just sound advice. It's amazing. Thanks for the fashion tip, sweetie. You're welcome. Again, tickets for the San Francisco live show go on sale this coming Wednesday, which is what, the 10th? Yes, the 10th, day before our anniversary. And you can get ticket information and buy yours uh, at any of the shows in our, on our Halloween tour by going to theboxofoddities.com. Theboxofoddities.com. San Francisco, Boston, Charlotte, and Nashville. And we hope to see you at, uh, at one of those shows. Or, or two, if you're a crazy person and want to do more than one show. We would love that. It's a little judgy. Yeah, I suppose. I was wondering about this. We had one freak. His name's Rob, who uh, is coming from the West Coast. He booked flights and tickets to see the Boston show and the Nashville show. And then we announced the show in his home city of San Francisco. And he's coming to that, too. I thought he'd be angry. I'm glad you're not angry, Rob. Glad you're not angry, Rob. We'll see you all three shows. (laughs) And we hope to see you. Indeed. We definitely will see you on Thursday. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those I report to, to beseech you for assistance. The box of oddities is free. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True. That is, two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, Women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. 
And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.